I am uh, honored to be here with you today. I'm honored to be here with you on Mother's Day. Uh, that's always a special time for so many. Uh, there's a lot of emotions that go with Mother's Day, and uh, I'm going to kind of stay away from that topic, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment. I'm grateful for uh, the the work that Jerry's uh, done with me over the past few months. I contacted Jerry several months ago, and uh, he and I have been uh, talking back and forth several times, but I also want to say how much I appreciate uh, the eldership for allowing me this opportunity for being here today allowing uh, I, I thank you for allowing me to be here and speak to you on this occasion I think it's only fair to tell you why I would want to take this position uh, in a first reason uh, my wife Megan of course grew up in Chattanooga and we're always looking for opportunities to relocate to this area we're in my home right now currently uh, where I preach uh, but we're always looking for opportunities to possibly relocate down here. And I want to I give you a quote from, from Saudi Daisy's website, from the city of Saudi Daisy's website, SaudiDaisy.org. It says, nestled between the wooden mountain ridges and sparkling Saudi Lake, Saudi Daisy captures the best of both rural and urban life. With Chattanooga less than 20 minutes away, residents enjoy the pleasure and conveniences of a large metropolitan area, tempered with small-town friendliness and spectacular beauty that characterized Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Now, who wouldn't want to live here, right? That's, uh, so that's one reason. Another reason is that I have become very endeared to this congregation when hearing about the situation of your minister uh, and the reason why he is retiring, uh, my heart kind of went out to you all. Uh, I have been accused on several occasions by many people of being tender-hearted, uh, and that is the case here. And uh, I pray that through this process, God's will is going to be done. Uh, but I didn't uh, think that I could uh, let this knowledge go without saying that I would at least like to to make a contact with you all. Uh, and to be uh, present today uh, it means a lot, means a lot to me. Nobody likes change. And I thought that might be a good sermon topic for this morning. I want to talk about change. Change is a part of our everyday life. In fact, we usually handle change so well, we don't even know it's going on around about us. Things happen, things pop up, and we say, hey, well, you know, I'm just going to change my schedule a little bit. I'm going to do this. We might be a little bit frustrated, might be a little bit annoyed. Sometimes we don't even think about it. We just go on with our daily life. The kind of change I want to talk about today is the, is the change that you can't ignore. You know, those changes that no matter how much you try to put your head in the sand and say nothing's wrong, you just can't ignore changes. I imagine every one of us in our personal lives have changes or have had changes or will have changes in life where we'd rather just not think about it, but we have to face it. In our lesson today, we're going to look at three components that I believe help Christians successfully navigate change, the changes of life. And these three components are trust, challenge and transition. We're going to look at those three things this morning. But first I'd like to define change. Change in the context of our sermon means actions or events that make our lives different. And this type of change is typically something that's external or it's something physical. It might be something that happens 
all the way around the world. It might be something that happens within our own bodies and it changes uh, the way we think of normalcy. It changes the way we think of our day-to-day living. We have a member at Pumpkin Center who is, he's our oldest member, he just turned 96 last month. And on Mother's Day, typically I would preach a Mother's Day sermon. And one year he came to me with tears in his eyes. And he said, I was seven years old. And I went to school and when I came home my mother was gone. She'd left. And she never came back. And at that time he was over 90. And with tears in his eyes he asked me, why did she leave? Now that changed him for his whole life. He's a good Christian man, but that changed him for his whole life. His dad was away at work. It was during the 30s when he was growing up. His dad had to to work. Uh, He worked on the railroad. He was always gone. His mother was always there to take care of him until she wasn't. And it was her choice. Now that changed me. (laughs) Something that happened in the 1930s. That moment when he asked me, why did she leave? That changed me. That's why I I will talk about mothers any day of the year. I will preach sermons on great mothers of the Bible and how to be great mothers whenever you want. But on Mother's Day, I just can't do it. Because I see Boyd Starkey and I see the tears in his eyes. Change. Things that we can't stop from happening. Solomon points out in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 verse 9 that... Things are always changing. There's nothing, nothing, uh, I'm sorry, nothing ever changes. Nothing's new under the sun, right? But then he points out in chapter 3, verses 1 and following, that there's all these different changes in our lives, right? He, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, to every season, there's a time and a purpose under heaven. Every season, seasons change. That's what he's talking about. And you read that list in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And you're going to see that there's going to be things that happen to us in our life. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But there's something that decides whether or not we are going to have normalcy for a while. Our reaction to change is typically, how do I get back to that normalcy? Something has happened in our lives. How do I get back? I was here and now I'm there. How do I get back to here? How do I get back to what is normal in life, Because if I don't get back there, and I'm afraid this is where Satan comes in. If I don't get back to normalcy, somehow I'm a failure. Somehow I have done something wrong. That's not necessarily the case, and typically it is not the case. Success in change has less to do with getting back to who we are and more with becoming of who God wants us to be. God uses change to change us so that we can become closer to him. And so let's take a look at our first step to successfully navigating change, and that is trust in God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, an often quoted passage for different reasons and different times of life. Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Why do I need somebody to direct my path? I'm in control of life. I'm a, what happens when that change comes? And you say, I don't know where the path is. I've got off track. I don't know where the course is. I need to trust in God. 
when we come upon change in life, we might have a tendency to panic. We might have the tendency to say, I don't know what to do and where to go. I don't know exactly where we should, uh, what, what the next move is, what the right move is. I want you to think about the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. We quote this verse very frequently talking about being faithful unto death. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, there's a church in Smyrna who is facing severe persecutions. And some people are going to be thrown in prison. And this is the advice Jesus, not John, but Jesus gives to them. you got change in your life. You're afraid of what's going to happen to you in your life. Your normalcy is going to be gone. The town of Smyrna is going to come after you as the church of Christ. And they're going to come after you heavy. What do you do? Jesus says this, be faithful unto death. I'll give you a crown of righteousness. Are you kidding me? That's the advice Jesus gave? We're suffering here. We need help. And all you're saying is, just be faithful unto death. Yeah, that's exactly the right advice. You trust in God, and he's going to direct your path. And you know where that path leads? Straight to heaven. That's why we want that path. That's why we must trust in God. There are too many people who come to worship services who will say to me, we have tried everything we can to save our marriage, to save our finances, to save our kids, to save whatever it is, and we finally decided to come here. As a last-ditch effort. Mm -mm. Can't do that. That's not trust in God. Trust in God is every day saying, I am going to seek God's way to direct my paths. So that when the changes in life come, I'll be ready for them. Jesus has given us a message in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 through, 20, uh, 24, uh, through 27. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. You're going to find that uh, numbers and me do not get together very well. I have a, what's called a reader's Bible. My wife got it for me a couple of years ago for Christmas. It has no verses in it. And I tell you what, I can read that all day long, never get tired. You give me a Bible with verse numbers in it, I'm like, oh, how long does it take to read this thing? It's because of the numbers. I hate numbers. But anyway, uh, that might be a bad thing for you to know about me, but, uh, but I do. I hate numbers. I absolutely hate them. But Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, whoever hears these words and does them, when? Every single day. Jesus says, do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. Small change in life. He's asked me to do this, but I'm going to live my life this way. I will liken him, Jesus says, to a wise man who built his house where? On the rock. And then what happens? All oh, the storms of life just going to blow over you. And what's going to happen to that house? It's going to stand firm. And those who don't listen to Jesus' words, who hear his words but say, nah, that's for later. I'll use your words when I really need them. I'll make that lifeline call when things get really bad. Well, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and those storms came and the winds blew and the house fell and Jesus said, great was its fall. You see the difference between success and failure when it comes to change in life. Success and failure is based on your everyday trust in God. We don't need to panic when it comes to change. We don't need to worry about what our life is going to be. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, 
Paul tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, with power from God and love of God and a sound mind, what change can we not face and be successful in when we trust in God? You know, you watch the old westerns, and you're going to find the quicksand scene, right? That's when somebody gets in the quicksand. And then the other guy, I was watching a western one time, uh, and the, uh, a fellow got in the quicksand, his buddy said, I'll go get a rope. And this guy had to fight 40 men and ride through three states to find a rope. I don't know why the rope, but the whole episode was this guy trying to find a rope, and his buddy was in the quicksand, and every 10 minutes, the guy, would, the, the guy in this quicksand would be seen, he's just a little bit lower, you know, he's not doing anything, you know, 10 minutes goes by, a guy's still fighting, finding the rope, a little bit lower, then a little bit lower, and finally he's up to here, and I found the rope, and the show was over. You know, it was a w- wonderful, wonderful scene. It doesn't make any difference whether we stand still in the moment, says, well, I'm just going to ignore the change, or we panic during change. If you don't get out of the quicksand, if you don't get out of the quicksand, it's going to kill you. How do you get out of it? You trust in the Lord. You put your faith in the Lord. You say, Lord, direct my path. Show me where I need to go. And if we build our house on the rock, then we can resist change. Why? Because Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord and I do not change. I am the Lord and I do not change. That's the rock. How do I build my house on the rock? Well, Matthew chapter 16 Verse 16 and 18, you know this is where people say, who do men say that I, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? So, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up, verse 16, says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I say unto you, Peter, meaning rock, little rock, Upon this rock, big rock, big mountain, the confession you just made that you believe that I am the Son of God, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of what will not prevail against the gates of Hades? Death, even death itself, not going to prevail against the church. That's what building your house on the rock is going to do for you. Your confession, your belief in Jesus Christ is going to do for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, we see that Paul asked the question, O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? What, the death and, and, and Hades swallowed up in the victory in Christ, verse, 16 says, or verse 56 says. And then we see the message out of verse 58. Christians, be steadfast, be immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do you stand against the changes of this life? You put your foundation in, you put your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when those winds blow, you are going to have a solid foundation that does not change to keep you anchored, that anchor for the soul, keep you anchored in the midst of those trials. So how does that help me with change, just trusting in God? Let's look at our second component, challenge of change. The challenge of change, going back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus brings up this wise and foolish man. Now, in the Hebrew mind, they're going to be thinking about wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is Job through Song of Solomon, that section of the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. 
that is the wisdom literature. And in wisdom literature, God, through those inspired writers, gives us an example, or gives us an image, rather, of foolish men and wise men, foolish women and wise women. And so when Jesus brings up this subject, Matthew chapter 7, of foolish and wise, everybody's going to be looking back to that wisdom literature, thinking about how they were taught in Hebrew school and in their synagogue worship about what's the difference between a wise and a foolish man. From a worldly standpoint, there's a clear distinction between good change and bad change, isn't there? In Job's life, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his children, the loss of his health, we'd say that's a bad change, wouldn't it? But in Song of Solomon, oh, the beloved meets the Shulamite, and they fall in love, and they get married, and they're so happy together, and we'd say, well, that's a good change. But when you put that middle part, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you put that middle part in there, you're going to see what God sees in change. You're going to see that God doesn't see good change or bad change. What he sees is the way a foolish man reacts and the way a wise man reacts. And that's what brings success. It is Paul who states in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we all know, we know that all things... Work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that trusting in God? That's another way of saying put your trust in God. You love him and you're called according to his purpose. Peter says make your calling and election sure, doesn't he? If I'm going to make my calling, my election sure. If I'm going to love God, if I'm going to trust in Him, if I'm going to be called according to His purpose, then how am I going to act wisely or foolishly when change comes upon me? See, that's what God wants us to learn. That's the challenge of change. Can I, through what I have studied, what I have learned, how I have grown as a Christian, make certain that I am always going to act wisely when difficult times come. You might not always have the best answer. You might not even have the right answer. And it might even take you a while for that answer. But are you acting wisely or acting foolishly? So change is defined in our lesson. That is to say change in God's eyes is neither good nor bad. But when dealing with change, we can either act wisely or foolishly. The trust which comes from a daily walk with God becomes all the more important through that change. And this brings us to our last component, and that's transition. I was reading a book lately that talks about how English words are used incorrectly, definition-wise. And this is one of them. Uh, We use change and transition oftentimes interchangeably, but they're not the same. Change is the event. Transition is what we do internally to figure out how we're going to get from point A to point B, how we're going to get back to normalcy. It is the internal struggle. It's the internal process while you're going through change. And it might have ups and downs. Lydia is three, Samuel's two. Megan and I are still, uh, in many ways, resisting the notion that nothing has changed in our lives. (laughs) We can still live the exact same way we did three, four years ago and not have to worry about it. We, we, can, we can make things happen. Not with a three-year-old and a two-year-old you can. We're resisting the change, though. That's because we haven't taken the time for transition. 
to think about, okay, how has my life changed? And, and, and what do I need to do to become the person that I need to be right now? Transition is the intellectual process of seriously thinking about what has changed, how life is different. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 tells us to be anxious for nothing. And then in verse 8 tells us all these good things to meditate upon. What's he saying here? When, when life brings you changes, you get a little bit nervous about things. What should you do? Start thinking. And start thinking wisely. And start thinking about good things. And start thinking about godly things. And start thinking about anything that you can that's going to give you answers to help you through the change. During the last three months of Jesus' life, he began teaching his disciples, I'm going to go, I'm going to die. He told them how he was going to die. He told them when he was going to die. And in Mark, Mark chapter 9, verse 32, the Bible says they didn't understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. That's where we are sometimes when change comes. Well, let's just not say anything. Let's not talk about it. It's easier not to talk about it than to deal with it. No, it's not. That's not wise acting. And then when they did want to talk about it, Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Peter takes him aside privately, it says. Peter takes him aside and said, Lord, you're not going to die. And then what does he say in the very next verse? Get behind me, Satan. We don't want to deal with transition. But turn with me to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, there's a beautiful scene. It is six days before the Passover, verse 1 tells us. And in verse 3, Mary, who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary brought a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance of oil. And of course, she was, everybody said, that you shouldn't do that, you're wasting money. Don't waste money like that. And in verse 7, Jesus says, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. I want you to think about this. In the recorded Gospels, I'm not saying Mary is the only one, but in the recorded Gospels, Mary is the only disciple mentioned that actually listened to what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm going to die. And she believed him, and she took the time to think about what she needed to do to react to that. She's the only disciple of all of them who was willing to accept the transition of change. Transition is a daily call of every Christian. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us that we cannot live conformed to this world, but we must live with a renewing of our mind, transformed by the power of Christ. And notice in verses 10 through 13, what is it that we do? First and foremost, how, how do you have a successful transition? Number one, you be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Too often when we hit up on changes, we like to start blaming people. Well, if you hadn't done this, and if this hadn't happened, if you hadn't been... It's just change. Sometimes change can't be avoided. And so what do you do to look at change and be wise in it? You be kindly affectionate to one another. And you think about the other person. And you think about what their needs are and how you can help them. 
Secondly, in verse 11, Paul writes, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Don't wait to do something good. I had a member just this past Thursday come to me. We have a member who has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, I know that has a 2% survival rate. But of all my friends who has had pancreatic cancer, none of them were in that 2%. And I don't think this one is either. And one of our members came and she said, I'd really like to go visit them. We used to be really close, but you know what? I, I just want, don't want to go up there because I'm afraid I'm going to cry in front of them. So what? Accept the transition. Recognize what's even more important and don't lag in your diligence to be fervent in the Spirit for one another and for God. Because our life's a vapor and one day He is going to be gone and I'm afraid it's going to be soon. And then what's she going to do with her tears? I'd rather share tears with someone living than not take the opportunity to let them know how much you cared about them. That's transition. It's not easy work, but it's important work. Then verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. We had uh, Brother Heath talked about this in his class this morning. That idea of if, if you, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to fit in sometimes, and sometimes we get to that in life. We, we're new, or, or we just aren't who we used to be we, for some reason or the other. We don't know where we fit in. What do you do? Get involved. Go help someone. Spend time with someone. You're going to create a new personality. You're going to create a new uh, identity. But that identity is going to be in Christ, isn't it? And notice... In verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because sometimes change is going to be good and sometimes change is going to be bad. But a wise man is going to say in transition, I'm going to be able to be happy for those I need to be happy for. And I need to be with those I need to weep for. Jesus Christ has given us a perfect example. A perfect example of transition. We see... In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that Paul writes, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. John talks about that in chapter 1, verse 14. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, and believed on in the world and received up in glory. How many changes did, did Jesus have in his 30 years here on this line, on this earth? Look, look with me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. We have another uh, a list uh, of, of, of some things that, that Jesus did while he was on this earth. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Boy, that's deep. And we could go into all the details of what that means. But basically it means what 1 Timothy 3.16 was talking about. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of not just man, but a bondservant. He used to be served by angels, now he's a little bit lower than the angels. And now he's choosing to be a little bit lower than man by being a bondservant, coming to serve, not to be served. 
being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You don't think Jesus knew change? You don't think Jesus knew transition? You don't think Jesus knew trust in God as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? If there's any way possible, remove this cup from me. Jesus knows about trust. He knows about the challenges of change, and he knows about transition. Because now he sits at the right hand of the glory of God, glorified, exalted. And he gives us as an example the same pattern. Notice with me. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Do you not know as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So even we should walk in a newness of life. It's different. It's not the normalcy. It's something new. And it's because we've been changed. It's because of the cross. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, and certainly we shall be united together in the likeness of his resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, Paul says again, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And that's the last change that's going to happen to Christians. You realize that? That's the last change. And then forever, we will be one with God in heaven, serving him, rejoicing, but with no tears and no change. I want to close today by thinking about a mother. I can't go without giving you a Mother's Day message. One thing about a mother. She was a mother whom her cousin told her were blessed amongst all women. But I don't know exactly how Mary felt about that. Because as she was betrothed and then married to Joseph, she had to tell him something. And that was she was with child. And here's what she had to tell him. Also, it's not just anyone's child. It's the Son of God. How hard was that conversation? And how much change happened to that young girl's life? I don't know how young she was. There are some speculations, but I'm sure she was young. How much change was coming her way that she had to be the mother of the Son of God? I couldn't imagine it. And what was the advice given to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 37? Gabriel says... For nothing is impossible with God. You say it's too hard, it's too much. Mary could have said it's too hard, it's too much. But the message was nothing's impossible without God. You've got change in your life today. Let me tell you, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I think I've been saying without. I apologize for that. Nothing is possible, impossible with God. And Mary was able to do the impossible... And she was able to be the mother of Christ. And you know what thing she did that made her stand above every other woman? To be the mother of Christ? Oh, there might have been many things. Nothing that probably she did in and in of herself other than her faith in God. But how did she manage? How did she handle the situation? 
Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered them. She took time for the transition, didn't she, when the change came? I think we do a great job in the church trusting in God. I think we do a great job believing in the fact that all things will work together for good. But if there's one thing I think we could improve on, it's taking the time to recognize that sometimes when change happens in our lives, not because we're failures, because God wants us to be something different than what we have been. Because it's more necessary for us, and maybe it might even be more necessary for someone else that you can help down the line. See, he holds the future, we don't. And when he looks at change, he doesn't see it the way we do. He sees it as a part of a completed plan. And what we have to do is yield to his will. We've discussed the idea of baptism today, how that unites us with Christ, and how that puts us into a newness of life. And I want you to think about that if you have not taken the steps to change your life spiritually, to put yourself into the hands of Christ Jesus, and have your sins washed away through that watery grave of baptism, to raise the walk in the newness of life. I want you to think about it if you are Christians, and maybe there's something in your life you're just dealing with, and you can't seem to get over it. And maybe, maybe you need to think about your trust in God. Maybe you need to make a reconnection with God. Or, or maybe you need to make some type of change in the way you think. Ways of transition. I encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you need public prayers of the church. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to know hardly any of your situations because most of you are strangers to me. But if that's your need today, we don't want you to leave without making that change because that is the change that is made so that we can have a change on the final day to be immortal and forever with our God in heaven who loves us. Loves us enough to go through the hardships of this life just so that we can be with him eternally. I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If there's any need of anyone this morning that we can help you in any way, uh, would you come while together we stand and sing?